Okay, so I'm glad you're here. We're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit uh, today about uh, worrying. I think everyone worries, and um, I was thinking about it and and just kind of trying to get a bit of a an overview on it in in my own sort of uh, idiosyncratic way, and just try to um, just factor in lots of different uh, teachings from different places. Um, and uh, including an exploration of, of fairy tales and and stuff like that. So, so anyway, there's a <clears throat> there's a a martial art. I, I believe that it's judo. And what judo tries to do is it, it, it takes the um, it takes the forward momentum of the person attacking you, and it allows you to utilize that against the person. So, in other words, if someone is charging you to attack you, um, you're able to use their forward momentum, which is coming at you, and then flip them over. So, their strength, they're the ones who are attacking you, but their strength is actually used against them. So, so that's, a whole, that's a whole discipline. And I think that you see that in the, the spiritual world as well, I'd like to suggest, where where some of our spiritual strengths are sometimes used against us by the Yitzhahara. In other words, we have, we have these gifts, but if they're not properly marshaled and, and, and utilized and mastered, sometimes they can be used against us. And I believe that worrying is one of those um, manifestations of a strength, a great spiritual strength that we have being used against us. And I'll um, explain what I mean by that. So let's begin with the, what, I, what I believe to be the strength is. So, so it, says, it says that in Pirkei Avos, that the wise person is actually able to see the, what is going to come from an event. Not, not necessarily to, um, to see the future, in the predictive sense, doesn't mean necessarily that the definition of someone who is wise is a prophet, but through logic, one can see often where an action is going to lead you, just through pure rational thinking. Um, so, so one should look at where something is, is, is heading before someone does an action. That, that makes sense. If you see a speeding car that's not going to be able to brake in time, and one decides to cross the street in front of it anyway. So that would be an example where one didn't properly see where an action is heading. You know, I get parking tickets. I'm like a magnet for parking tickets. Like, wherever I park, I seem to get a ticket on my window. You know, I'm, I just, I don't know what it is. And when I get the ticket, I don't want to pay it. I don't know why, but I just don't want to pay it. And then I get another ticket where it's now double the money. And it's like it's, and now I feel so angry at myself that I'm completely shut down. And it's like, so one should see where one's actions are heading. <laughs> it's just, it's just self-preservation, or in many instances, wisdom. Now, now let's take this to another level, to a deeper level, which is that, you see, there are some people. Uh, a teacher was sharing this with me. There's some people who see the next world, if you will, 
Um, they see the next world as something that they, they can't fathom at all. It's completely unreal to them. All there is, is this world. And so they'll make all of their decisions based on being happy, wine, women, and song, if you will, um, you know, based on the fact that all there is, is the life that we have before us, that we can see with our own eyes. Then there are those people who understand that there is another world, that the soul that we all have... You know, I was talking with someone recently who was saying that, you know, that religion at their point in life right now is not important to them. Um, and, you know, this is... This is I, I was trying to explain um, that, that this is a very short-sighted view. And I agreed, and I said, you know something, where you are in your life right now, because this is a younger person, where you are in your life right now, it probably is not important to you right now. I, I totally get that. I'm completely sympathetic. And I said to them, do you, do you believe that you have a soul? And they said, yes. And I said, do you believe that the soul lasts beyond your life? And they said, yes. And I said, well then, what just to flesh out what that means is, that means that there's eternal life. And eternal life, relative, even if we live long lives, let's say, you know, we live to 80 or, or more, whatever it is, compared to eternity, that's the snap of the finger. Which means that one's real life is not in this world, in terms of the, of the enormity of it, but in the next world. And yet, the amazing thing is, is that the decisions that we make during this lifetime completely shape our eternity. So even if someone is not quote-unquote religious or whatever it is, just on pure self-interest, my goodness, it would seem that one would want to be very exacting about how they treat their time in this world. Right? So, um, so then there's another category of person. This category of person is someone who understands that that the next world is so real, it's even more real to them than this world. Alright? Now that's, that's a great place to be, because that is more or less what we would call reality. However, that, that has its own challenges, because one can't disrespect this world. That doesn't mean that therefore you disrespect this world. Not at all. In fact, I heard a story, a very alarming story. I'm laughing, but it's, there's nothing funny about this about two religious people who hit a parked car and drove on, and their comment was, Gashmius. Gashmius means materiality. <laughs> now that's fine to say if it's your car. <laughs> but if it's someone else's car, that's completely an anti-Torah reaction. You can't say, ah, materialism. No! One has to be very mindful of other people's property and very respectful of other people's feelings and everything like that. This world is, you know, you know, very, very important, even if the next world is the ultimate reality. Right? So one has to really balance these things. Otherwise, they're certainly not living the Torah, and they, they also have a very skewed vision of what's going on. You know, those, these suicide bombers who, who want an eternity and do it by murdering women and children in pizza shops. I mean, this is... Anyway, it, it doesn't have to be explained further. It's, 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 it's such a skewed 
vision within the context of quote-unquote a, a religious vision, then it's horrendous. Everything is inside out and upside down and, and corrupted. It's, it's, it's horrible. Anyway, so, so, so one must respect and be you know, very, you know, very sensitive to, to this world while understanding that the ultimate reality is, is the next world, really. That's, that's the best place to be. Okay. Now, now, now what that means is, because it says in the Talmud, it says in Pirkei Avos, that, that we all have a share in the world to come. And that includes the, the righteous of the non-Jewish people as well, the righteous of the nations, which is a beautiful thing about Judaism and Torah. Most religions will tell you that if you don't believe in their guy, whoever it is, you have no share and you're cut out, or you'll burn forever, or whatever it is. Whereas Judaism says, no, listen, the righteous among the other nations also have a share, and we have a share, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a very beautiful vision. And we say this is, and if you think about it, it makes total sense. I mean, it should be that way, and, and that is, in fact, the way it is. So, so, so we all have a share. We all have a share. So what does that mean? What does that mean? And you know, I was saying to my young son, who's nine right now, I was trying to explain to him that even people who aren't quote-unquote religious, right? I said, maybe they're not keeping Shabbos, maybe they're not keeping kosher, maybe they're not putting on tefillin, right? But at the same time, it's like, there's 613 mitzvahs. Do you know how many mitzvahs they're doing? They're doing a lot of mitzvahs. And they're all mitzvahs. Okay, so the hallmark mitzvahs, maybe they're not doing so much. But you think that they're not doing mitzvahs? They're doing a, a tremendous number of mitzvahs. So, you know, the idea of calling someone non-observant or non-religious, it's a very problematic set of labels, which is very unfair and, and, and untrue. But there are certain big ones which we should very much strive to keep. All right. So, so the idea is like this. There's a happy ending. There's a happy ending to every single person's life. Because every single person has a share in this eternal reality. Right? We, we have that. And that's, that's reality. We have that amazing, amazing portion in the next world forever. Okay. There's also a happy ending to world history. Because, you see, way before Darwin... We talked about spiritual evolution. Evolution in the deepest and most meaningful way, which is that the world itself is evolving toward perfection. So the world itself has a happy ending. Now who knows what we have to do to go through to get to that place, you know? It might be fairly gnarly. But whatever happens, there will be that perfected world, because that's the world that God set out to create to begin with. The amazing thing is that we're partners with him right now in terms of completing the world, in terms of reaching that place. Okay. So every single person, there's a happy ending. And the world itself has a happy ending. Now, one of the things, and I think this is me speaking at this point, but one of the things that I think is kind of cool is that the Jewish people gave the world this vision of a happy ending. The German philosopher Schopenhauer, I read uh, Rabbi Cardozo uh, quoted him in one of his books, and said he, he was known as being um, 
a great pessimist. And, and one of the things that he hated the Jews for, okay, was that he, he accused the Jews of giving the world optimism. <laughs> an amazing thought. An amazing thought that we're guilty among our many crimes, right? Quote, unquote. Of giving the world optimism. Right? So, 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 now, you see that deeply rooted in, in our souls is this vision of the happy ending. And I think one of the amazing things is, is that, you know, we're in Hollywood right now. Hollywood gave the world a happy ending. And Hollywood, all the major studios, were founded by Jews. And I think that that, again, they weren't quote-unquote religious Jews, but nonetheless the vision, on a soul level, is deeply implanted in all of them. And maybe you can say, well, you know, it was a commercial decision. People want to, well, they'll pay for something because it'll make them happy if they see something. Whatever their rationale was, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that this idea of happily ever after, this Hollywood ending, was given to the world by Jews. In the modern era as well. You see it in a, in a, in a very real sense. Now, I did some research. Now, a few years back, this was sort of all the rage, but I never sort of uh, went through it systematically. I went on the internet, and there's a, um, a top ten list site. I, I wish I could tell you the person's name, but I didn't see it, who, who compiled this. And um, just to give you a sense, I'm going to tell you the original endings of many famous fairy tales. Okay? Because what happened is, is that Disney and whoever else added on this idea happily ever after in the modern era. But here are some how some classic fairy tales originally ended. You ready? You ready for this? The Pied Piper is one example they bring. Um, a, a town is infested with rats, and they hire this Pied Piper who plays um, uh, a musical instrument, and, uh, and the vermin, all the rats, go out of town. But then they don't pay him. So what he does is he leads all the children out of town to a lake where they drowned. And that's, that's the end of that one. <laughs> okay. Horrible, right? Little Red Riding Hood. There's no... <laughs> there's no... Um, there's no woodsman and there's no grandmother. There's a fat wolf in the forest who eats her, and that's the end of the story. She dies in the forest. She talks to strangers, and that's it. Dead. Okay. The Little Mermaid, um, when her prince uh, meets someone else, she's offered a knife with which to stab the prince to death. But rather than do that, she jumps into the sea and dies by turning into froth. It's the original ending of that one. Um, Cinderella, the, the stepsisters um, try to fit into the shoe by cutting off parts of their feet with a knife. 
And that, that doesn't work, and then um, birds come and peck out their eyes. <laughs> um, Goldilocks and the three bears, right? She sneaks into their home, and the bears see her and eat her. <laughs> There's another version where she gets out in time, jumps out the window, and breaks her neck. Uh, and uh, uh, the last one I'm going to mention, um, there are more, but the last one I'll mention is Sleeping Beauty. A prince comes and doesn't kiss her and wake her up. Rather, he um, uh, forces himself upon her. Um, she uh, is impregnated and has uh, twins while she's still sleeping. And one of the twins sucks on her finger, takes out a piece of flax, and that's what actually wakes her up. Finding herself, surprisingly, the mother of two children. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, so this, these are, these are just an overview of the fairy tales some of the most famous fairy tales and their original endings. And it shows you the, what Hollywood, what, what Jews, if you will, have put into the world in terms of this vision of the happy ending. It's a very major contribution. And, and um, cynics and sophisticates don't like happy endings because they feel that it's, it shows a, a, a lack of reality, shows a, a fantasy trying to assert itself upon, upon things, a Pollyanna-ish immaturity, which is trying... But, but, but that's all good, and that analysis is all very wonderful, but what if it's incorrect? If there is a happy ending, then, then actually holding on through the hard times is actually the greater act of bravery and maturity and wisdom. And we say that's very much where the world is going. Um, Rabbi Nachman has a story where, um, where a, a child, it's a whole long story, but just a little piece of it, is that a, a child was born to a king, he was very desirous of having a son, and he didn't have one, and then he has one, but it really, it was done through... Um, a special blessing where, where, where a uh, potion was made from, from crushed gems and the child that's born um, seems normal and then the sister gets jealous of him and he becomes leprous. But anyway, the point is, is that his skin peels off and underneath the leprous skin they see he's made out of jewels. And so this idea of something can look a little bit leprous on the outside but under, just underneath the surface, there, there are jewels, you know? How, how we're looking at the world, or how we're not looking at the world. So, so the point that I'm trying to make here is that, is that there is a happy ending, and that we have this great spiritual strength, this great spiritual gift, which is the ability to envision the happy ending. And I mentioned when I started... Judo. Judo is how when two, two people fight, one will use the strength of, of one against itself. So now, again, we're talking about 
worrying and trying to get a, an overview of worrying, let's see now how the Yetzirah comes, the other side, our darker inclinations come and take this ability, which is the ability to envision the happy ending, the envision to envision the eternal world, which is what we're evolving toward, and use it against us. Take our own spiritual strength and use it against us. So this is what I would say is the definition of worrying. So what happens when a person worries? So um, what happens is, is that, is that one envisions a future which is a dark future where something goes wrong, where something terrible happens, God forbid. And then by thinking about it and thinking about it, they create, a, they create a, 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 uh, this sort of like mental space where they feel like that's the reality right now. In other words, they imagine something bad and then they convince themselves that they're in that place right now. And yet the reality is, is that, is that more often than not, the reason why it's called worrying as opposed to, you know, having, you know, being in solitary confinement is because you're not in solitary confinement. You're just driving in your car at that moment. Or you're just sitting at your breakfast table at that moment. Or you're just walking down the street at that moment. So if you actually look at where you are and you're able to sort of exert a, you know, a, a reality check on yourself, you'll say to yourself, well, that, no, nothing has happened yet. I'm actually fine right now. Not only am I fine, but the reality is this, this second in time anyway, I'm actually doing quite well. You know, I'm walking, I'm breathing, got my health, you know, you know, I'm, I'm actually okay right now. But such is the power of the Eight Sahara that it takes our ability to envision the future and it turns it against ourselves so much so that we think that that bad place is right now. So, so let's get into a few levels of how to deal with this. So I just want to talk about a couple of very, very practical things. And then I want to go a little bit deeper into... Um, in terms of how to address it on a, on a deeper spiritual level. So on a very practical level, I, I, I was told an exercise that I, I think is very good. I've tried it and it's good. One should, you see, you have to recapture the moment. You have to recapture the fact that that isn't happening right now. Because you don't know what's going to happen a second from now. You don't know. You don't know no matter how much you've convinced yourself. And by the way, it's human nature. We talked about last week this idea of the, the uh, Grey's Anatomy, right? You know, the, the spiritual Grey's Anatomy. Another thing that's a total human nature is that um, if one is waiting for, like, like my, my father told me this, like he, toward the end of his life, unfortunately was dealing with, um, with, uh, with an illness that, that in the end did him in, but... but he lived for a good five years while, while he had it, so he had a, a longer stretch of time than normal for, for this type of uh, illness. Excuse me. He, he said to me, you know, the, the, when the, 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 the nature of a person is that 
one will always reach the worst case scenario. One will always envision the worst case scenario when given time to think about it. And if you understand that that's human nature, you see, the, 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 the trick the mind plays on, on us is that we do what we all feel in our own minds is a very logical progression. So that we actually convince ourselves that this is not only going to happen, but it's the, of course it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Right? But there's nothing logical about it because it hasn't happened yet. There's nothing logical about it. But one should be aware in themselves that it is human nature, inevitably, like a, you, you hold a stone and you let go of it, it's going to hit the ground. It's human nature that one will reach in their own minds the worst case scenario. So if you find yourself doing that, just go, oh, I just did that. But there's no reality to it. Don't allow yourself at the end of that thought process to go, okay, well, that's going to happen. Eh, no, not necessarily. I'm, just, I'm a human being and I've just done... You know, it's like going to the bathroom. I've just done a human act. Okay, well, now I'm done. And I can get on with my life. You know, whatever it is. You know, so, so anyway. So, one, in terms of grounding themselves in the moment, it's good to touch something. Like you touch your, touch a piece of fabric, or you touch your jacket, or you touch your pants, or whatever it is. In other words, you ground yourself in the moment. And you realize, well, wait a second, I'm, I'm here right now. And, and, and marshalling some of your senses, like your tactile sense, is, is a good thing. Because it, it just helps to remind the body and the mind that you're actually here right now in your car. You're not being fired in your boss's office right now, or whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm here right now. This is not... Okay. Um... So, that's, that's, that's one thing. Another thing is, if a person is worrying, is to actually review in their mind if they've done everything that they can on a practical level in the issue that they're concerned with. So, for instance, if you're going to make a presentation and it's like you're concerned about the presentation and you're going to do the... You're going to give out some handouts. Well, have you made the handouts yet? Have they been made yet? Have you Xeroxed them? Have you formatted them properly? No? We'll do that. Well, I'm going to do that. No, 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 do that right now. Okay, so then when you're actively involved in the act of preparation, and you're actually doing something concrete, then that's, then that's a very therapeutic thing to do as well. And by the way, it will also help you to be more successful. Because the more actually prepared you are, the better your chances are in general. Okay. Um, it, it came to me one time that worrying is... The soul telling a person to pray. When you worry, that's your soul telling you to pray. So, use that concern as an opportunity to do something practical and say, God, you know, I've got this thing coming up. Please, may it go well. And, you know, everyone else who's going through this, let it go well for them too. And and let it be for the good and everything like that. And I know you're running the show and all the rest and... And all the rest. So, so worrying is this soul's way of telling you to pray. And if you worry a lot, that means you're probably holy. Because it's your soul telling you that you've got to pray a lot. You know? So, nothing wrong with that. Okay. So now, I want to go a little bit deeper. Um, I, I read um, 
uh, a graduation address. I don't know if it was uh, last year's. I think it was last year's. It was two years ago. I don't know. It was uh, from Drew Faust, who's uh, the president of Harvard. Uh, actually, the first female president of Harvard. And um, she gave a very nice speech. By the way, I think graduation speeches are a good thing to read. I, I've just started reading a couple. And because they, they get usually big people who are trying to give their, their vision of the world and the most practical advice they can give. And I'm not saying they're all good. I, I haven't read that many of them. But it seems to be like, uh, based on the two that I read by, by uh, President Faust, they really do seem to, um, to be a, 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 a possible good thing to read. I don't know. Like I said, I can't recommend them all. I haven't read them all. But um, what she said in this struck me uh, very much. She said, life doesn't follow a script. And that meant a lot to me when I saw that phrase. Life doesn't follow a script. And here's what it evoked. You see, we, we tend to vision... You know, Rabbi Nachman uh, talks about um, that, the idea that life being a very narrow bridge. right? And he says the important thing is not to be afraid. And whether we picture our lives like this or not, but on an emotional level, we, we tend to do this. We see a, a very narrow bridge with basically um, on either side you're falling off a cliff, basically. And we have our plan. Our plan is the road that's sort of suspended in the middle of nowhere. And when life doesn't go according to our plan, to our script, we feel as though we've fallen off the cliff. Because all we see is that one lane. Like, I want to go to this place. Or I want to, whatever it is, whatever our plan is. And when our plan gets thwarted, we imagine that God has abandoned us. And then that's it. We've gone off the cliff. That there's only one way and that's our plan. But, life doesn't follow a script. Meaning to say, that even though we have our plans and we're supposed to have our plans, nonetheless... God is still directing us. God, in his goodness, is still directing us. And the fact that we haven't achieved whatever that plan is, there's no contradiction. It doesn't mean that we aren't being guided and we aren't being guided with love. So, so, so that's a big deal. That's a very, very big deal. And one of the ways, I think, that, that, that really can help us is to go back to this original thing. You see, I was talking with someone, and they said, yeah, yeah, God is guiding us, yes. What about the Holocaust? And then he, we went right into the ovens, right? That's some bit of guidance, right? And I said, okay, you know, that happened. But was that the end of that person's life? Or did they die Al-Kiddush Hashem, which is the sanctification of God's name. They died because they were Jews, only because they were Jews. So that's the sanctification of God's name. And they go to the highest place in heaven. And that's forever. So what is, what is the end of that story, really? Okay, no one likes that ending. What, what, who would want that ending? But, but nonetheless, what is the end of that story? Does the story end there? 
Or does it end with eternal bliss? So if you understand that it ends with eternal bliss, then you understand that that the end of our stories is a very good end, whatever it is. And God should bless us that we should have all of the good things that we desire in life. All the, all the simchas, all the happy occasions that we desire. God should bless us and He should give it to us and to everyone. All good things. But nonetheless, we have to understand that, that don't end the story too quickly. Because that's, that, that creates worry, that creates fear, and it's not, you know, it's not reality. Um, Rabbi Nachman tells a story about two beggars, and one was Jewish, one wasn't Jewish, and it happened to be Pesach, and the Jew says to the non-Jew, come with me, we'll go to a Passover Seder, and we'll serve a big meal, and it's going to be, you know, you'll get a good meal. Come with me. So they go. And um, they're sitting and they're talking for a long time, as you know, anyone who's been to a Seder. And they're talking and they're talking and they're talking. And then they pass out a little piece of parsley <laughs> or potato. And he can't believe it. He's famished. And all they're talking, this is the meal, a little piece of potato or celery or whatever it is. And then the guy says, hold on. Right? So he holds on. And then what does he get? A chunk of marrow. You know, that's, that's horseradish. That's this bitter thing like, you know, like wasabi, you know? Like his head catches on fire. And he says, you Jews are crazy. And he runs out of the room. And then what happens? A little while after that, a huge meal is served. A huge meal is served. So, so, so we have to hold on. We have to hold on. We have to hold on. And hopefully we get all that huge meal, so to speak, in this world during this lifetime. That's, that's what we desire. But if not, the meal is being served regardless. 100%. And we have to understand that. You see, at a certain point in one's life, one has to decide, you know, you know, I think I heard this in the name, quoted in the name of Abraham Lincoln, that people are as happy as they decide to be, you know, which is a very interesting thought in itself. But at a certain point, I think that people have to be... Um, to, to believe as much as they decide to believe. In other words, if, if you... Let's go back to this original question again. Do you believe that you have a soul? If the, let's say the answer is yes. Do you believe that the soul outlasts the body and goes someplace? Let's say the answer is yes. Well, then, more than likely, you believe in an afterlife where there's reward and punishment, and where there will be eternal, eternal reward for all the good things that you did. Right? Now, I, that's when it, you, if, if a person is not familiar with these concepts, they'll have to learn more, all the details and all the rest. But, but simply put, you go through a cleansing process, right? And then it's all good forever. So, at a certain point, a person has to decide, do I actually believe that? And if you do believe that, then believe it. 
Believe what you actually believe. Accept what you believe. Because it doesn't do much good to essentially base your life on that. To base your life on that. To make actual sacrifices in this world because you believe that and not accrue any of the benefits from that that sense of belief. Or to say, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. And then then not, not take it to the next step. Which is, yes, okay, yes. I remember a, a, a huge turning point in my own um, spiritual, you know, journey. I have to give a lot of credit to Rabbi Cardozo. He was talking about monotheism, and he was saying, well, you know, if you believe in one God, then that's it. There's just one God. You know, there's a lot that comes with the belief of monotheism. Monotheism is a very radical, revolutionary viewpoint. If you believe in one power, then that's it. It's just one power. It's just all God. And then, oh, okay, well, then I said to myself, well, yes, I, I believe that. Okay, well, let me start thinking that through. Let me start thinking about what that means. Flipped over my whole viewpoint on a dozen different subjects. dozen different subjects. So, so take responsibility for what's in your, you know, mental pantry. Open it up. Look in it. And if you've got baking soda there, don't say you don't have baking soda. (laughs) And if you have baking soda, and there are recipes that call for baking soda, use the baking soda. Because you have it, and it's yours. Right? I heard Rabbi Wine quote a Medrash one time, and he said that that I'm paraphrasing it, but, but the, 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 the essence of it is, is that, there's, that there are people who, like, they'll have the equivalent of a pack donkey. You know, where you, you know, a donkey that's, you know, trained to carry one's load on it. So you strap on your bags to it, and then you ride on it, and that's how people traveled for thousands of years. So can you imagine, a person is on one of these pack mules, right, sitting on it, and then either side he's holding a heavy suitcase. Well, put it, put it on the donkey, right? So, so to speak, there are people who are, quote-unquote, believers in God, and what are they doing? They're carrying around all their worries. <laughs> well, if you actually believe, Right? What are you carrying around for? Put them on God. So, one of the things that, that I think, and we'll just start to wrap it up right now, getting back to this uh, Gray's anatomy of the spirit again, one of the things that I think is important to understand, you know, when I, when I grew up, my, my mother used to joke about, I think this was a popular thing at a certain point, the, the clean plate club, right? You know, your mother would want you to eat everything on the plate, which I guess included the vegetables and things like that. And if you did it, 
Then you were a member of the Clean Plate Club, right? So we we desire in our in our in our souls to to walk around as members of the Clean Plate Club, <laughs> meaning that there's nothing, there's no worry, there's no there's no sense of anything lacking or anything missing or anything like that, and then that's normal. But I don't think that the Clean Plate Club exists actually in this sense. I think that that's a bit of an illusion, you know, and that we have to understand that you know what if there, you know, there are going to be some some Brussels sprouts on our plate, and and there's going to be you know a couple of other things on it, and and this is this actually is normal. This is normal, and that we can't get too overwrought about it as we go through life, you know. You know so. So, in other words, there's always going to be something to deal with, basically. And that's okay. That's okay. We just do our best job. And there's a happy ending. And that God is guiding us. And that ultimately, you know, it says, you know, the the, the sages are very extreme, actually, about how good heaven is. (laughs) They say if you collect all of the wonderful moments of your life, your entire life. You aggregate every wonderful, pleasurable moment that you had in your entire life. That one moment in heaven is greater than the aggregate sum of all the pleasures that you had in your entire life. That's one moment. And that it lasts, heaven lasts forever. Okay? But not only that, but that each moment in heaven is greater than the previous moment in heaven. So, it's like, ah, 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 and forever, that. So, so, so let's believe what we believe, and take, take actual concrete steps toward first deciding whether we believe it, and then, if we do, implementing it so that we can benefit right now as we should. Okay, be well.